listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, family. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, thank you for coming. We're excited about our series that we're in. Um, we are moving into phase two of our Shaping Faith series. This last few weeks, we've been talking about the core four, which is all about internal development. What are the core four? Do you remember? Text. Prayer, worship, fasting. How many of you have tried fasting over the last week? Good for you. Good for you. I hope that the fast, because that fasting piece was a little bit elusive and, um, and it has been. I, I hope that Marty demystified it for you. It was super helpful, I think, to have that conversation about it. But um, if you missed any of those sermons, you can go to liferotp.com forward slash sermons. Super creative. Uh, way for us to confuse you. Forward slash sermons if you want to go to sermons. Um, it's, not even, it's not even hard to figure out. But uh, if you've missed any of those, go back and do that. The core four is all about our internal development. And now we're going to move into, if that's a square, our four is a square, then now what we're going to move into healthy community, and that is a circle. What is healthy community? And so here's the eight pieces of healthy community. Now, first of all, this is not an exhaustive list. You could probably add to the list here, but what I will tell you is all eight of these are necessary for healthy community, okay? Number one is conflict, right? If you're going to have healthy relationship, you've got to have conflict. And I know a lot of people that are like, especially in their marriages, they get into a season of arguing and they're like, we just aren't meant to be together because we fight all the time. No, actually conflict is a really important part of healthy community. We just don't do it well. We just don't do conflict well. And that's the problem. So we're gonna talk about that uh, later. Forgiveness, if you're gonna have conflict, you gotta have forgiveness, that goes without saying. Um, ownership, which is what we're gonna talk about today. In, in every relationship, there are three parts. There's your part, there's my part, and then there's God's part, okay? I can't do your part in a relationship. That's called codependency. When I try to do your part, uh, I'm trying to take over your world because I need you to validate me, to make me okay. That, that's all messed up. I can't do your part, okay? And you can't do my part. And neither one of us are good at doing the Holy Spirit's job, right? So that, that's important for us to recognize. There's my part, your part, and God's part. And I've got to be willing to own my part, okay? Sometimes that's really hard. Boundaries. Boundaries are a part of a healthy relationship. It is okay to say no. Not all the time, but when it's appropriate, it's okay to say no. It's okay to have boundaries. Um, priorities and time. Empathy. I believe that if you just develop empathy and understand that the fundamental role of relationship is to help us call one another's identity out before God, if you just do those two things really well, you'll change the world. You will, change, you, will re, you will revolutionize your own life and your own relationships, and I believe that you'll change the world. Empathy and just those two. And then emotional vocabulary. Now, let me say this for you men that are like, feelings. <laughs> right? I don't have them. Feelings. Um, okay, first of all, uh, grow up. <laughs> It's not true. You do have feelings. Secondly, um, if this was your problem, you could get over it. Because that's empathy. I'm working on empathy. Here's why. Because we do have feelings. 
And the problem is we don't know what they are or how to describe them, and so we don't know how to un understand how they function in relationship, and then they wind up taking control over me, right? And so what we do is, because we don't have control over our feelings, we blame other people for the way we feel, which is completely wrong, right? Here's a little ditty. This is tweetable. This is, you're going to want to bring this up in your home group this week. No one can cause, control, or cure your emotional state. Nobody has that level of power in your life. Nobody can cause, control, or cure your emotional state. Th people do things, and I have a feeling, but that's not, it's not cause and effect. I have a feeling that happens to me because of any number of reasons. You do something, and I respond to it based on my wounding, based on my feeling my, like we're my mood in the moment, based on what I had for dinner last night, based on all kinds of things, I react in an emotion. That's not anybody else's fault. It's my responsibility to be able to understand it, own it, and deal with it. Because nobody else can cause, control, or cure my emotional well-being. And a whole lot of us spend our entire life blaming other people for what we feel. And that's not okay. That's not how healthy relationship functions, okay? So we're gonna be focusing on these eight things over the next week. Today, or over the next eight weeks. Today, what we're gonna talk about is uh, ownership. And this is one of my core life messages. And so um, this is one of those things that you've probably heard some of this before, um, but it's important for us to review in the context of this topic. When God made the world, he created the world, and he formed Adam out of the dust, and he, his, he gave Adam the responsibility, the work, the job of stewarding the garden. He has dominion over it, right? He's kind of in charge. He's managing creation. And his first job on the task list within that larger workload is to name the animals, which if you're a creative, you love this story because you are like, what could we come up with? I can call them anything, right? Like duckbill platypus. I love that, right? Like hippopotamus. Let's go up with some cool names. That, so there's that. But if you're an analytic, you hate this part of the story because you'd have to like categorize them and like put them in genus and species and all. like you'd have to do all that if you're an analytic. If you're a creative, you're just like, I don't care, giraffe. Look at his neck, you know, like. It'd be awesome, right? You're the best. That, that would be, if you're creative, that's how it would work out. If you're analytic, it wouldn't work out quite so clean. <laughs> I had a guy who is an engineer came up to me between services and he goes, analytics, it would be really easy. We would just give them all numbers. <laughs> I, I only think he was partially joking, right? <laughs> we'd just give them all numbers. Where's the fun in that? Where's the, you know, gazelle. Um, where's the fun in that? I, here's the thing. Adam goes to name the animals, and God notices something about him that is not good. And this is important for us to begin with because it will set the stage for everything else that we talk about. In Genesis 2, we see this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, 
for a lot of us, we go, well, that, that verse talks about marriage. That, and it's read at weddings, and that's an appropriate application of the verse. But that verse isn't fundamentally about marriage. That verse is fundamentally about connection. And it's important for us to understand that because God looks at Adam. Interesting timing, by the way. This is before sin. Adam's not separated from God. Adam walks and talks with God in the garden in a way that you and I will never understand this side of glory. And God looks at him and says there's something missing. Now what's interesting about that is America was populated by adventurers. People who sailed the seas and believed that they were gonna fall off the edge, right? And they landed in this new land, rugged, independent individualists, populated our country. So there's this, this stench of individualism in our culture. It just is there. Now, of those, the most rugged individualist adventurers of the people who populated America, the ones that are the most of that settled the Northwest. <laughs> right? It, it's true. That's, like, that's historically accurate. And so what you need to understand is it is in the very fiber of what we believe a human is supposed to be to say, I don't need you. And it's trickled its way into the church. These phrases like, I'm complete in Christ. All I need is Jesus, right? Apparently, God thinks that's not true. Because he had it there, and he changed it on purpose. It is not good for man to be alone. Even when he has full access to God. It's not good for man to be alone. There is something that God has put in you and me that makes us need one another. We're better in relationships with people. We're better in relationships with people. And that's important for us to know that. Now, I'm, not, I'm all for effort and working hard and building, you know, picking yourself up. But I go do that. Yes, 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 yes. I'm not taking any of that away. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, we are created for relationship with God and relationship with other people. And you can't neglect either one of those things. And if you try, then your life becomes really lopsided in some dysfunctional ways. I love Psalm 133. Here's what it says. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, before we go on, if you're taking notes, underline that. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, let's keep reading. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. Where does God bestow his blessing? What did I ask you to underline? Where brothers, where God's people live together in unity. It is there that God bestows his blessing. If you're like, man, I have not experienced a lot of God's blessing in my life, maybe a place to begin would be to consider the fractured relationships in your life. 
One of the things I love about relationship is that it's the only place that I'm actually forced to sanctify myself. What that means is being sanctified is the process of becoming more like Jesus. I start to look and act and think and feel more and more and more like Jesus. That's growing up in our faith. That big theological word is sanctification. Now you're really smart. Relationship is the only thing that forces that. Like teaching doesn't, because in teaching, I can 100% agree with you that everything that you say is true and then go out and feel no compulsion to do anything with it. Relationship actually forces me. If I'm going to be committed to relationships, it actually forces me to get the junk out of my life that keeps me from being separated from people. Now, here's why this is so important, because what David acknowledges is that it's like oil being poured on your head. And and the picture here is kind of cool. Um, we, when we, in the modern church, when we anoint people with oil, we, de- we take a little bottle of oil, like extra virgin olive oil, and we put our fingers over the top and we go like this real quick because we don't want to spill a drop. And then we do this on somebody's head. <laughs> I, I, why? Like that's not, it's not how they did it in Bible times. Bible times, when they anointed you with oil, they took like a jug of oil and were like, glug, 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 glug. Like, that's the picture that David paints. He says when Aaron, the priest, was set aside for the priesthood, they anointed him with oil as a mark that he'd been set aside. And the mark was this picture of the Holy Spirit coming down on him, right? That it would saturate and drench him that every part of him would be covered in the Holy Spirit. That's the picture of the oil. And that's what David says is what it's like for you and me when brothers live together in unity. When we live together in unity, it's the mark that the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us. And it makes sense because you know this. Like you can't, it takes two people about 10 minutes to get things all messed up unless the Holy Spirit's there to help us work it out, right? Like, it's it's so quick that we can mess it up, and it's easy, and with the best of intentions, we can mess it up. The mark that we're fighting for relationship rather than fighting against one another, that's the mark that God is who he says he is to us. It's not how much you know, it's not what truth you espouse, it's not what church you attend, it's not how many times you're there a week, it's none of those things, it's how we treat one another. So you can have all the best of intentions, And if you don't treat people well, you're not putting your God on display well. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is there that God bestows his blessing. Look at Micah 6. What shall I come before, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? What's the question that the prophet is asking? Come before the Lord and bow down. What does that sound like? Worship. Sounds like worship. Say worship. How do I worship God? That's the question that he's asking. Now remember, for them, they're thinking the sacrificial system was their worship of God. That's how they worship God. They brought him sacrifices and honored him as God. How can I do that? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Look at what he's saying. He says, what do you want, God? You want rivers of oil? You want thousand rams? You want my firstborn child? Is that what you want? Is that how I worship you? Check this out. 
He's shown you, immortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. God's already showed you. Whose phone's ringing? It's probably, I should answer it. What was I talking about? Oh, yes, thank you. Well, how does God want you to worship him? Here's how. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's how you worship him. That's what he says. That's the question and the answer. He's already shown you all of this. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do those things. Question. Any of that not relational? Is there any way to worship God that's not connected to relationship in some way? Not according to Micah 6, 8. Right? That's what we're pulling for here. Now, uh, skipping, we're running. I'm going to skip a rock across the top of the water on this one. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul says this, Galatians 5, 14, the entire law is summed up in this one command. All 613 rules, laws, and commands of Torah are all summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as if they are you. If you need clothes, what do you do? You, put, you go buy yourself some clothes, right? You put clothes on. If you're hungry, what do you do? You eat, of course. That's why Jesus says, when, you've, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. This is how we put our God on display, by treating other people that we love them as much as we love us. Entire law is summed up in that one command. Just do that, and you'll be all right. Galatians 5, and 23, here's what it says. The fruit of the Spirit... Now, what's interesting is the word fruit is singular and there's nine characteristics that are going to be mentioned here, which doesn't make sense if fruit is attached to these nine things, but it isn't. Fruit is attached to spirit. There's one spirit and there's one fruit of the spirit. It just looks like these nine things. Now, think about fruit. If I'm a fruit tree, <laughs> I look like a fruit tree. Um, I have the trunk and then you have branches, right? And the branches are where the fruit is, way out on the end of the branches. But the fruit that's out on the end of the branches isn't there because the branches are awesome. The fruit is there because healthy, good things are going on in the trunk. Does that make sense? So what we know is you can look at a fruit tree and tell if the trunk is healthy or not because the more healthy the, the, the healthier the trunk is, the more fruit is on the tree. You with me? A lack of fruit shows that there's something going on in here that's not good. It doesn't show that the tree was mistreated. It got, um, the wind blew on me. So I'm not producing fruit. It's not, it's not what a fruit tree does, right? It rains so hard, my leaves are soaked, right? Like it, it's not what a fruit tree does. What a fruit tree does is it produces fruit and it produces the most fruit that it can produce. And the only thing that keeps it from being able to produce more fruit is that the, the trunk needs to be more healthy. Same thing with the fruit of the spirit. For a lot of us, what we do is we try to get the fruit by pursuing fruit. I need to work on being more loving, right? No, here's what we do. We pursue Christ and then the fruit becomes true of us. The evidence that we are pursuing Christ correctly, the evidence that good things are going on in the trunk 
is that there's fruit. Make sense? You can talk all day long about how committed you are to the Lord. I love Jesus. I'm so committed to him. And those other heathens out there, those pagan dirty souls and souls, they need to get their stuff together. Right? Nah. Not proper. Nope. Nope. You're not pursuing Christ. Maybe you're pursuing truth, but if you're pursuing Christ, love is what rules you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, by the way, any of those not relational? Like, I'll just walk off the, I can just walk off the stage at that point. Like, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, the evidence of that is that you're functioning better in your capacity to be in relationships with other people. You're becoming more gentle and more loving and more faithful and more, you have exercising more self-control and on and on. On and on it goes, right? That's the truth. So you can't come to church for 30 years and say, I love Jesus, and then go home and yell and scream at your family. If you have an anger problem, then you have a Holy Spirit problem. Because the evidence that healthy things are going on here is that there's fruit. Now, what we do with that then is we start to disconnect from relationships because we don't want to have to deal with this stuff in here. That's how we roll. Oh, well, you don't like me? Well, then forget you. I'll just move on, right? I'll just move on. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. Because the call, if you want to follow God, is toward relationship, not away from it. Now, let me say this straight up. Right now, I get that when, as soon as you hear me say that, the immediate place that we run to is like, well, you're talking about, like, what about abuse? And what about, the, you know, the battery and whatever? Like, what, what, what about those things? Listen, I'm not saying that those things are simple and that you walk out of here fixed. But what I am saying is that too many of us jump to the extreme to justify our mediocrity. And that is not acceptable. Like we want to say we're a part of this great, powerful thing, but we, won't, we don't want to live the way that he's asked us to live. Is it any wonder that we're not experiencing the things that the scriptures promise for us to experience? Is it not time for more? There's a, a place that we go to when we go to lead our turkey trips, our, tur- our study trips to Turkey. And uh, you guys know that one of the things I'm super passionate about is study tours to Israel and Turkey. And they're, uh, they're great. Um, in fact, I have a few spots left on my Israel trip. So if you want to jump in on that, jump in on it. Uh, but I also lead trips to Turkey, which people always ask me, why do you go to Turkey? Well, here's why. Because it's biblical Asia Minor, which is the missionary journeys of Paul. So like, you know, the New Testament. It's the seven churches of Revelation. It's Ephesians, it's Colossians, it's Galatians, it's First and Second Timothy, it's, it's, it's like, it's the New Testament. It's kind of a big deal. Well, one of the places that we go is a, a place called Priene, and it's near Ephesus. I want to show you uh, some pictures of it. This is Priene, and uh, this is actually an ancient synagogue uh, here, but off in the distance, you can see it's built on a hillside. It's actually a pretty steep hillside, uh, but it's built on a hillside. Off in the distance, you can see farmland there. In the first century, that was a harbor. 
Uh, it's been silted in by the river, but uh, it's pretty rugged, lots of pine trees and all this stuff. Let me show you another picture. Look at that guy. Um, he needs to lose some weight. That is in a church in Priene that um, it's actually, that that's the pulpit. It's elevated and you can see the transformation over time as church kind of tradition evolves. They start to elevate and elevate and elevate the role of the bishop. And so this is an elevated um, platform that the bishop would preach from. Now, there's actually a tradition that the bishop from this particular church, the one that stood in that pulpit, wrote a letter to an, a bishop at another church that said, what do we do if nobody shows up for church service? And the other bishop wrote back and said, hold service anyway. With no one there. With no one there. I'd probably go home and have a nap, but that's what they said. Now, there was at one time a very vibrant Christian community here in this town. And within a couple of hundred years, it's whittled down to asking the question, what do we do if no one shows up? That, that seems crazy to me. What happened? Well, let me show you one more picture. This is called the Pritanium. Let me hear you say Pritanium. Pritanium is like... Um, the courthouse, the legal office. It's the place where the guy who's essentially the equivalent of the mayor would do his business. So legal documents are kept here. Um, a lot of uh, different legal proceedings are done here. It's, it's one of those kind of places, right? Now, two, two important pieces for you and me. One is this manger that's in the front. That's what a manger is, by the way. A manger is not the wooden cross buck with the hay and the pretty thing. It's made out of stone. So that's a manger, and uh, it's... It held sacred water. And then the other thing was this big kind of cauldron, uh, what they called the cauldron of eternal fire. And, and the way that that fire got there, legend has it, is that there was this eternal fire burning on Mount Olympus. And so people went up on Mount Olympus with a torch and they lit the torch and then they ran with the torch to the town and they lit the cauldron of eternal fire. Does this look anything like something that we would be, it's all rooted in paganism. It's all rooted in paganism. But this fire here is there. Now the role of the cauldron of eternal fire is when you and I want to heat our homes, when we want to um, cook our food, when we want to do anything like that, what we would do is we would go and take a coal from the uh, cauldron of eternal fire, take it back to our house and light our own fire with it. Okay. Now, this day that this picture was taken, it was about 100 degrees there. It was hot. Um, I've been there. The, the time before I was there, it was less than 40 degrees. And we were in coats and hats and gloves and freezing. It was cold. It was cold. Okay? Here's the catch, Christian. In order to get a coal from this cauldron of eternal fire, you had to offer incense to the god or goddess of that town. For this town, it happens to be Athena. So what do you do? Do you take the fire and heat your home when your kids are shivering? Do you cook your food when your kids are hungry or not? So I, as I see it, there's three kind of options, right? Number one, cross our fingers and we 
take the coal. We know it's not real. Athena's not real. We know. We know. Right? We'll just take, ah, yeah, incense, blah, blah, blah. Take the coal, run home. Right? Look, we got a fire. That's what the Nicolaitans did. And in, in Revelation, the letter to the Ephesians, God says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, You've resisted the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I detest. That's what the Nicolaitans did. So that's not a good option. Option two is they could create their own little Christian sub-cauldron of eternal fire. Right? We're going to build our own cauldron. We're going to do our own thing. We're gonna, we don't need your cauldron. We're going to have our cauldron over here with us. Right? We're going to do what we want our way. Okay? There's a problem with that. If you build anything in public that says you're a Christian, it's illegal to be a Christian. You're executed. Now, option three is we're just going to go up in the hills and get our own wood and stuff, and we're just going to come back and just build a fire. Like, it's not going to be a thing, right? Here's what the Christians in Priene chose the ones who created a vibrant Christian community there. They chose to not heat their homes for fear that the smoke coming out of the chimneys would tell the wrong story about who their God was. And I look at that and go, why in the world would you want to be a part of that? And yet they took over the city. When it became easy to be a Christian there, nobody showed up to church. The problem for you and I is that in our Christian life, when we look at the call that we're called to, none of us are having the hard conversations. We're trying to figure out how to make it easy. And that is not what we're called to. We are called to a life of conviction, of sacrifice, of standing in hard places. That is who we are, but doing it in a way that is full of grace and compassion. And that tension that we live in, that's the conversation that you and I have to keep having with one another, because it's hard. And there's all these nuances and situations that we don't know quite how to handle. And there's all this stuff going on. But the truth is, we can't lose our conviction to be a part of a community that helps us figure out how to do that well. Because if we don't, keep our convictions. Then if it doesn't die in my generation, the church will die in my children's generation. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not willing to go there. We've got to be willing to fight for community because it's in community that we find God's strength at work amongst us. That's our invitation. And let me validate every single fear for you. Yep, they will hurt you. And they'll say things like unbelievable things they will say about you. And they'll say some of it to your face and some of it behind your back. And some of it they'll say to people who have no business knowing. And, and some of the things that people will do, they'll, like they'll... They'll react in fear to you. They'll misconstrue words that came out of your mouth. They'll twist it. Yep, they will. And they'll use it against you. Yep. Yes. Yes to all those things. 
Yes, relationship's hard. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's exhausting at times. Yes. And it's our call. You cannot live out the mission of Jesus without it. So you either plunge headlong into it, knowing that on the other side of it, it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. Or you withdraw and you become like every other powerless Christian that claims the, the, the name of Jesus but has no authority in, the, in their life, spiritually speaking. I don't want that kind of life. And it's not the life that God wants for you either. And with that in mind, we're gonna move towards the Lord's table. I, I, and I, I just wanna invite you to consider the possibility that as we take communion this morning, Communion is this uh, space where we, we tell God and we tell each other. Like I heard what he said, and, and you may or may not like it, but I'm in. Like I don't know what it looks like exactly, but I'm still committed to walking the path. That's what this is. It's this sign of the covenant we've agreed to. Now, Anybody, we have an open table here, so anybody that's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us can take communion with us. But we want you to hold the elements to the end, and we'll take them all together. While they're passing that out, I want to work through a few questions, questions uh, that are going to be discussed in your home groups this week, um, some places for you to process some of the things that you've been hearing. Question number one. Which fruit of the Spirit do you feel like God is currently developing or refining in you? As you pursue Christ, what what's keeps showing up? Where is God working you over, right? As, as you pursue Christ, what's the one that you're like, man, I really wrestle with that. I really wrestle with that one. And, and here's the deal. Don't go for the cheap shot. Don't be like, patience. Because if you do, I'm going to pray for patience for you. <laughs> I know you guys are like, don't, don't do that. Yeah, well then wrestle with the question a little bit. Like where, where's God working you over right now? Like that, that's a good thing for your group to know because then they can join you in that journey. They can pray with you. They can walk with you, talk you through all that stuff. Question number two, what are some things that you could do to elevate the unity of your home group? It's a good question. If unity is how we put God on display, what are the things that you can do? And here's what I want to say to those of you that aren't group leaders. It is not your group leader's responsibility to figure all that stuff out. That your group leader has their part, but you have your part too. There's my part, your part, and God's part. What is your part in elevating the unity of your home group? What's your part in it? That'd be a good question to ask. Question number three. What is your part in helping our church family be the kind of community that God is calling us to be? And I just want to throw this out to you. Like, when you're out moving in amongst the community, how are you engaging the community? Like, when you're at sporting events and you're yelling and screaming at the refs, are you putting God on display? That guy goes to real life. I saw him there last week. I was a, I was a high school wrestling coach for a couple, three years, right? And wrestling's intense like it is it is because number one you're watching one guy and one guy or one girl and one guy or one girl and one girl you're watching all out going on on the mat and 
It's just one against the other, and it's like this epic, and it's intense, you know? And, and somebody gets taken down, and you're like, get up, because nobody knew you were supposed to do that, right? Like, <laughs> but it's like, and I find myself, you know, flexing for them. Like, that's going to do them any good, but I can't help myself. As a coach, and people watch as Pastor Aaron, right? Sometimes I wanted to put a sign on my back that said, I'm not Pastor Aaron on the mat. <laughs> I'm just Aaron. Um, but I had to literally stand there with pinching my lips like this. Because I couldn't. I couldn't. But it was, even though, like, it didn't offer a whole lot of help to the kids on the mat, that was more, it was more important to put God on display well than it was to lose my cool yelling. Are you, are you with me? Like, that is not it's not okay, it's not God, it's not representing your community well. And when I talk about community, I'm talking about the church family that you're a part of. Like it's not representing that well. Question number three, four. Share a story of a win in your life. How's being part of your home group or this church family impacted you or others you know? It's a great, it's a great thing to wrestle with and, and I would invite you to consider this. For every single one of us, relationship has been absolutely essential in our faith. If you go back to the moment that you decided to take God seriously, it always goes back to a person. It always goes back to a person. Always. And, and I know there was this one lady that came to me one time. She said, Look, I was sitting under a tree in the woods by myself, and I decided to take Jesus seriously. I said, you did. Tell me about that. Well, my mom taught me when, from the time I was a little kid. Da, da, da. I was like, okay. So I'm right. Like you can't escape it. Your relationship with Jesus is absolutely grounded in your relationships with other people. Like maybe that's a story worth sharing. And maybe it's worth understanding that because other people's relationship with you will ground their relationship with Jesus as well. For better or for worse. I love taking communion as this reminder to us that... Um, we're called to some scary things. We're called to some hard things. We're called to lay our lives down. And yet we're still called to it. And what we discover as we read the pages of scripture is that when people do that, it changes the world. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup, and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you, so whenever you drink this cup, do remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this amazing call that actually really forces us to find healing and freedom and hope and deal with the woundedness in our own souls. God, thank you for the clean invitation toward relationship in that this is how we worship you. It's the way we put you on display to the world. It's the way that we gain access to your blessing. It's the way that we understand all that creation was intended to be. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to acknowledge our fears for what they are. And um, most of all, God, I just want to say thank you for your son and his model for us of what it means to honor you with our whole life. In your name, amen. 
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, if you enjoyed this message, make sure you check out the new podcast from our lead pastor, Aaron Couch, called A Better Conversation. Search for it on our website, iTunes, and the Google Play Store.